Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On November 19th, the 10 winners from our monthly open mic story slams returned to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. We gathered at the beautiful Appel Center in downtown York, and our storytellers took the stage to share their stories with a full house, more than double the audience at our monthly events. The theme for the evening was no regrets. We heard stories of loved ones lost and found, and the fear and exhilaration of taking a step forward even in uncertainty. Mina Edmondson won with her story of mischief that she and her siblings got into as children. Here's Mina. It was the summer of 1967, and my brothers and I ran rapids through the community that we lived in. We destroyed everything we came in contact with. We were between the ages of 9 and 11, and we were completely unsupervised from 8 o'clock in the morning until my stepfather stepped out onto the front porch and whistled for us to come in for dinner. Now, we had exactly 10 minutes to get in the house, wash our face and hands, brush our hair, and be seated at the table ready to eat. If we weren't, we did not eat. My parents were very strict disciplinarians, and we knew it as kids. That doesn't mean we didn't test them on occasion. Well, one morning we got up to, on our, to go on our daily adventure, and we decided we were going to do a five-finger discount run. Now, the way this works was... We walked along the highway and gathered bottles, pop bottles, and I would take them into the 7-Eleven and sit them up on the counter. These were the days when you got money back from your recycling, and I'd, we'd have 15, 20 cents, so I would take my time very slowly choosing the candies that were on the counter until I'd spent my money. And while I was distracting the clerk, my brothers would sneak in, take their five fingers worth of discounted candy, shove it in their pocket, and slip out the door. Well, when I was done, I would take my bag of candy, roll it up, and I would walk out with my legally obtained goods. Well, walking home that day, Doug is chewing on a squirrel nut zipper and the other boys are sucking on atomic fireballs and I'm licking a banana BB bat and I see these rubber bands on the sidewalk. So I started picking them up. Obviously, the paper boy had lost or had a hole in his bag and had lost all of his rubber bands and I was planning on making a Chinese jump rope. But the boys decided, no, that is not what we were going to do. We're going to make slingshots. So Doug goes off and he gets a pile of rocks and Tommy goes and gets a wire cutter and my brother goes and gets the duct tape for the handles and I'm assigned to go into the master bedroom and get the wire hangers from the dry cleaners and a square of leather cut out of my stepfather's winter coat. You have to have leather to withstand the tension as you pull back on that slingshot. Anything else will rip. So we created our slingshots and we're practicing in the backyard and then we start practicing shooting over the back alley that ran behind our house into the estate across the alley. And eventually we ended up on the roof of the house. And we were taking turns coming up over the roof and shooting at trees and birds and of course the traffic going down the street. At one point in time, 
chop over the hood, over the roof, crack. Oh my God, we about killed ourselves getting down off of that roof, climbing through the window of our bedroom and ending up in a puddle on the floor, arms and legs all akimbo, our chest beating from our heart so fast. And we laid there until we could breathe again and disengage our arms and legs and we looked at each other and nothing had happened. <laughs> we got away with that one. So the boys decided they were going to revive their creative learning experience and get back up on the roof. And I was sent out front to be the lookout. Now I'm riding along the sidewalk on my hot pink huffy bike, the banana bike with the big wheels and the bell, ding, ding. And if the boys heard me ring the bell, ding, ding, that means something was going on and they had better get off the roof and into the house. Well, I'm riding along and I hear, woo, woo, woo. The police had come down the back alley and caught my brothers on the roof with the slingshots, totally busted. Now, the boys are sitting in the back of the police car, the lights flashing, the neighbors looking out of the window, trying to figure out what we had done this time. And I know that my parents will be home soon and something was going to hit that proverbial fan and it was not going to be pretty. Now, my parents had a rule that if any of the four of us got into trouble, we were all disciplined the same way. Well, they thought that this would sort of help us self-police ourselves and we wouldn't get into trouble. What they didn't know is we had a rule that if anyone got into trouble, that we would never speak and that we would keep it quiet because we knew we were going to all get in trouble. Well, it came to happen that even though I could not sit for the next week and a half, I had no regrets because it was my shot that had broken out the windshield of Doug Meshling's brand new Robin's Egg Blue Ford Mustang Coupe. And I had won bragging rights for the rest of the summer. Mina took home the trophy and bragging rights as the best storyteller in York. Next up, we have a story from Matt McDonnell, who talked about making difficult decisions in the best interest of loved ones. I did not want a cat. <laughs> and yet I became a cat owner. The cat had just wandered into our yard, and my wife fed it. And if you're aware of intergalactic law, that means you are now a cat owner. The, the cat stuck around, and it very quickly wormed its way into our hearts. Uh, we named it June because it had showed up in the month of June, and we weren't feeling very creative at the time. So this cat, June, came into our lives and became dear to the entire family until eventually my wife and I got divorced, and then I didn't see June anymore. And it wasn't because my wife had taken June with her. It was because apparently, and I didn't know this, June hated men. 
June had been left behind in the house when my wife left, but all of a sudden was nowhere to be found. She hated men, and there were only men in the house. There were three men, so she was constantly hiding in the basement. The only time I ever saw her was if I had a date over, and all of a sudden she's up winding around my date's legs. She's like, oh, what a nice cat. And I'm like, nice to see you. I've been cleaning your shit up for the last six months. <laughs> so that went on for quite a while. And I was downstairs scooping the poop, and uh, I saw June out of the corner of my eye, and I could tell something was wrong. She was drooling profusely. So I set up an appointment for the vet, and I got into the vet, and the vet said, well, your cat has mouth cancer. And unfortunately, your cat's very old. There's things we could do. We could try chemo. We could try radiation. But at the end of it all, you're still going to have a really old cat. I said, so what do I do? And this vet said, well... You know, we, we can do this and we can do that, but really it's just about trying to make her comfortable. And then, you know, when the time comes, you'll have to make that hard call. I said, well, how will I know when the time's come? And the vet had heard my stories of the cat, and she said, well, the cat will start to be nice to you. <laughs> okay, so I kept on scooping the poop and putting the food in, which magically disappeared, and making sure there was water for months on end until eventually one day I'm sitting at my computer and there's no date in sight and the cat's winding among my legs and purring. And I tried to ignore it for a little while, but it very quickly became apparent that it was the time to make the hard call. And at that point in my life, it was the hardest call I ever made. And I went to the vet and I made the choice, the hard choice to end the life of somebody that I cared about. But I didn't have regrets because I'd given that cat all of my love and that cat had given me love back. I didn't know it was a dress rehearsal. It was years later, I'm at work and my father had fallen a couple weeks earlier and he was in the hospital, but we expected him to go home. And I got the phone call that said, Matt, fly, don't drive. And I got to Michigan with my kids and I had to make that decision to unplug the life support with my brothers and my mom. And before we made the decision, they gave us each the opportunity to have a few minutes alone. Is there anything you need to say? And I thought, and I thought, and I realized that between my dad and I, there was nothing unsaid. He knew that I loved him. I knew that he loved me. I knew that he was proud of me. There were no regrets. Fast forward. This last Monday... I had to call Peaceful Pet Passage. Bear is a dog that came into my life 13 years ago. Beautiful chocolate lab. I adopted him from a man who was getting rid of him because he had two dogs. One was old, and this little puppy was more than he could handle because he wanted to run everywhere. He had so much energy this man couldn't handle when he was looking for somebody 
And I was that somebody, I had two young kids, I wanted them to grow up with a dog. And I was looking for that dog that had that lust for life because I wanted that in my house. And he brought it, he brought it with style. Man, this dog smelled every tree. This dog chased every squirrel. I tied him up to my son's swing set that was made out of cedar and had this big six inch by four inch beam. And he was chasing a squirrel so hard he cracked that beam. <laughs> Today, he can't walk up the stairs. He's challenged to walk across the room. So I had to make that call for him. And I can only hope that when it's my time to go, whether it's by fate or whether someone that I love has to make that call, they are going to say, that man, he loved everybody around him and they loved him. And he left no word that needed to be said unsaid. And God damn it, that man chased squirrels. No regrets. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Ash DeVoe. Ash told the story of her first day on the job at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. So, I mean, that counts as a no regret, right? <laughs> I auditioned for the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair in January, end of January, beginning of February 2014 and got cast on their street cast, which is the Blackfriar cast. It was all volunteer. There's the Bacchanalians who actually get paid, and then there's the Blackfriars who have to rehearse April through August, every Wednesday and every Saturday for several months, <laughs> all in a row for no pay, long drive, nerve-wracking as all can get out, but so much fun. They give you a character, and you spend three months getting into that character, figuring out your name, your catchphrase, your occupation, your jokes. There's a story of that you're on the Shire for 3,000 people every day, make it worth it for you. My character was Henrietta Fowler, the crazy chicken lady, and I was allowed to carry a live chicken. I was the only person at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair to ever carry a live chicken, and I made history my very first weekend. Uh, so the entire set of three months when you're training, you're improv, you're on the street, you never know what someone's gonna say to your face, someone's gonna shout at you about shaking your tail feathers and you go, oh, fuck off. Oh, cluck you. Like, <laughs> you get to have as much fun as you want back sassing these people because they paid their money to come in and interact, you get to pick how you do it. So, I had a lovely show with Boopsy the Ambassador Chicken where she would play dead. I'd place her back on my hand, her little head would droop down, her wings would open up, and she would, for all intents and purposes, look deceased. And people would panic, and they're like, oh my God, your chicken. It's like, no, no, no. And she'd pick her up her head and go, buck, 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 and go, shh, you're giving it away, and put her head back down. And sometimes when a chicken gets upset, they start to flutter their wings. I'm not chasing a chicken around 13 acres, so you just hold onto the feet. They flap for a second, they go down, you pick them back up. It's a chicken. It's fine. So Boopsy the Ambassador and Chicken Eye are making waves across the Shire. 
all through rehearsals. We haven't even opened yet. So opening day, the first weekend in August, the opening Saturday, I have the first show of the day. We open at 11, 11.30 was my first show. And I have a crowd of about 10 to 15 people, all of who just kind of wandered in the gate, unbeknownst, come across to me holding my chicken in the woods like, hi. I'm a chicken tender. I thought I was funny, come on guys. <laughs> and so I had a crowd of people, I'm about to go into my bid, it's like, oh yes, why do ducks have tail feathers to cover their butt quacks? What do you call a chicken who is so wicked she lays deviled eggs? Like, I thought I was great. And so, Boopsie has a moment of stage fright. She flutters up. I just hold onto the feet, let her swing for a second, pick her back up. And this woman barges through the crowd and starts screaming at me, cruelty, cruelty and abuse, and is pointing her finger and stomping her feet, pushing her way through a crowd of people. And I'm standing there covered in feathers in Renaissance gear, holding a chicken going, what? Bok, bok. Like... And she's, she's not letting up. And I'm trying to say, oh, my lady, no, it's very kind of you. This is my personal chicken. Yes, I know, I know this chicken. I raised this chicken. It's fine. And she's, who is your supervisor? And how do I get you out of here? And how dare you abuse a bird like this? And I'm trying to play it off. I'm trying to play it off. But they've trained me for three months to back sass. <laughs> and finally, this woman goes, well, I wouldn't want to be swung around by my feet like that. I said, my lady, I don't think there's any that could swing me by thy feet like that. And I didn't mean to call her fat, but she was a four-door duchess, all right? I mean, she had teacups on her titties. Like, she was a big lady, and her tiny little husband, who was leaning against a tree, leaned forward and lowered his sunglasses, like, what did you just say to her? And, you know, everybody gasps for a second, and I'm standing there clutching my chicken, like, oh, crap. I mean, we're so tall. Look at us. We need to find a giant to swing us by our feet. This isn't helping. She got the face of I taste butt and stormed off. I'm panicking, but trying to finish the show, I go backstage and cry for another 30 minutes, and then carry on with my day, and think, okay, no big deal, whatever. Everybody just shake it off, shake it off, and the few castmates that I told this story to were like, oh, that's funny. Oh, that's funny. Go you. I mean, we trained you to do this, go you. So two weeks later, when I found out I broke a record, because Justice, the head of the theatrical department at the Renaissance Fair pulled me aside and said, Ashley, all right, I got a letter. Dear Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair, complaint. And I don't think you actually did this, but I have to follow up. Were you A, abusing your chicken, and B, did you call a woman fat? <laughs> and I said, yes, well, I mean, no, and kinda? And he goes, wait, what? Tell him the story, and he just has to pause for a second. Ashley, it was your first show of your first day, of your first attempt at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair ever, holding the first chicken of the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair, and you got a Dear Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair letter? Oh, come here. Come to me, my child. And I got beers the rest of the season for free from the little bartender who thought it was just the best story ever. And I can't say I have any regrets because they trained me to do it. We'd like to extend huge thanks to KBG Injury Law for sponsoring this year's Grand Slam. Stay tuned in December as we announce the themes for our 2020 season on our website, YorkStorySlam.com. Tickets for our events are available there too, and while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook 
and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com. Thank you.